<laughs> I wonder what ever happened to Natalie and Brulia. <laughs> She's not a good cook. No. Well, the food's not cordon bleu. She'll be cordoned off. <laughs> I think you should go. You only get one mum. You're lucky to have her. Twins got a second chance, didn't they? Lucky buggers. Yeah, well, look at it from her point of view. She's lost two kids already. Break her out to lose a third. And if what's going on with Oliver's taught me anything, it's that we need to cling on to those we've got left. Like a massive clingy thing. Cling on? No, that was science fiction. Welcome to episode 112 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street catch-up podcast that will give you a split-screen phone call or give you a dream sequence, but can't really give you both. I'm Gavin. And I am not a cake. Uh, <laughs> I actually think you've said that already. I don't think so, because the cake thing... The cake thing, I, I meant to say it last week, and then for some reason I just... Didn't. Did, yeah, did, quoted a random song from from the aughts. But I am not a cake. And you are not a cake. At least I hope you're not. Don't tell me I'm not a cake. <laughs> Have you seen these videos of, of things that are not cakes? Or, well, that are cakes, but don't look like cakes? People getting really weird and fancy with fondant. Like, like uncooked chicken breasts. You cut in and then they're cake. Yes, I have seen I've seen several of those. What I have also seen is the kind of backlash to that. Yeah. Which is someone who had a box of tissues uh-huh. and tried to cut through it like it was a cake, but <laughs> it's not because it's really just a box of tissues. It's really disturbing because it reminded me of uh, one of the few things that absolutely terrified me as a child, which was the, the Tom Teddy video for Don't Come Around Here No More. <laughs> Which random is that? Which ends with them because uh, it's like an Alice in Wonderland theme, and he's the Mad Hatter, and at the end, Alice is a cake, and they they start cutting into Alice, and they start eating Alice, cake Alice, you know, and she's still conscious and everything, and screaming, and people are, and then there's shots of people just like, oh my god, this is the most delicious cake ever, and it's pieces of her that are cake. And it absolutely terrified me as a child. And it's funny because I mentioned it on, on Twitter and on Facebook. And there were lots of other people who were like, oh my God, that terrified me as a child too. So I don't feel so alone in this world anymore. <laughs> well, that's something. It is very terrifying. It's a terrifying video. Some people just find Tom Petty creepy. But it, it wasn't really Tom Petty. It was, it was Alice as a cake. Them eating her while she was still conscious. I feel like like Petty was uh, complicit though. He's part of the whole reason why Alice is getting cut up. Well, yes, and he ate her. So that and does make him kind of scary. A sh- there's a shot of her sc- of her screaming in his mouth, and then he shuts his mouth and he swallows and then he belches, and that's how the video ends. That was kind of terrifying. Oof, whose idea was that? <laughs> I wouldn't put it past Patty. 
Music videos. It's a thing we used to have. We used to have a whole channel of them. We used to sit and watch the MTV and it was all music videos. Almost all the time. I remember being in New York in October of 93 or 94. Mm-hmm. And it was Blocktoberfest on MTV. <laughs> where they would show blocks of videos. Right. And I think it was Heart-Shaped Box that was getting played mm-hmm. constantly. And Black Hole Sun. Strange times. Because mm. now it doesn't show any music at all. No. In fact, it's, it's almost like it hates music. Right. Because no, now all it shows is people injuring themselves. And and teenage mothers. <laughs> right. I don't know about VH1, if that's, if that's the same or if that's any any better. I'm trying to remember if, if Drag Race is still on VH1 or if it's moved. VH1 is still, is, it is predominantly reality TV shows and stuff too. I mean, it was VH1 that gave us the flavor of love mm. <laughs> in the odds. And it's follow-up. Um... Oh, it was the one with him and Brigitte Nelson when they were in love. No. No, 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 no. That came before because it started when they were doing that reality show where they would put five like B-rated or C-rated celebrities in a house. The Surreal Life. And that's where Brigitte and Flava Flav met and fell in love. Fell in love. (laughs) No, I was more thinking the Brett Michaels one. Oh, Yes. Where for like ten weeks he just went on about how he was diabetic <laughs> to to ten disinterested prostitutes. I don't think they were all prostitutes. <laughs> I think and then Flavor Flaves was followed up by uh, the girl he called New York with a show called I Love New York. Tiffany, I can't remember her last name, but because Flavor Flav renamed all of his girls in in the Flavor of Love. Of course he did. And Tiffany was there. All the while wearing a kitchen clock around his neck. <laughs> what, what was he in? Was it Public Enemy? Because it wasn't NWA. No, I think it was Public Enemy. He was like the hype man. Yes, he co-founded Public Enemy in 1985 with Chuck D, who in 2020 fired him from the group. Right. So... On top of everything else bad that happened in 2020, we also have the firing of Flavor Flav. I'm amazed it took so long. Yeah, Strange Love. That was the show with him and Brigitte living (laughs) together and taking baths. Hmm. Yeah. And then Brigitte had a side piece. I can't remember his name. Like a, a much younger man, a man in his like 20s. Who was Brigitte Nielsen's side piece. And it broke Flava Flav's heart. I used to watch these things. Why did I used to watch these things? There's a kind of morbid curiosity for watching the Brett Michaels one. I, You know, I didn't really watch the Brett Michaels one. By that point, I think I was just... But I used to love watching the se- every season of The Surreal Life. Because it was just really weird to see these people kind of mashed together. And it was always just like the most random people. Hmm. 
like one of the members of the Brady Bunch, I remember, was on one season and he also fell in love with somebody else in the house. It was the girl who wa- who was the first winner of America's Next Top Model, who I don't think ever became a top model. But then they got a they got a spin-off show too, and I can't remember what it was called. Probably had a some sort of Brady Bunch theme. But I think they actually got married. Anyway, this has nothing to do with why we're here. That's like anyone that's <clears throat> like aliens picking up this podcast would think this has got little to nothing to do with Coronation Street. <laughs> that hair's not getting any shorter, Hen. No, it's not. My glasses are, are kind of funky. I think I I left them on the bed and they're kind of bent a little bit. But I don't want to go to the eye doctor, even though I'm way overdue for a checkup. Because I just, I don't want to go anywhere medical where the doctor has to get really close to me. Oh, and Unless they don't have to. They, they are pretty good at staying away from you because they're, they're typically quite fancy equipment between you and... Yeah, but sometimes they need to get up guy. close and look in your eyes. Especially when they do that puff of smoke thing in your eye or whatever it is. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. It's also why I haven't gotten my teeth cleaned yet. Because that's really close. And that's scraping stuff off your teeth. Shall we preamble with you? <laughs> yes, please. Give me some of that surreal Cory news. Cory Hero News! Former Coronation <laughs> Street actor Scott Wright, who played Sam Kingston on the show, came to the rescue of two women who were being attacked. Attacked by what? By by a man. <gasps> Apparently randomly. You know, this man just started coming up to them and, and shouting at them and swearing at them and kicked one woman and punched the other one. And well, Men aren't allowed to do that? No. Wow. What a super stripper. You know, he, Sam King. He hit, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Yes. That's that's going to be his superhero name now, Super Stripper. Can you imagine what that uh, uniform will look like? I'd imagine be very uh, brief. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like maybe like skimpy, almost like He Man. You know, He Man had those fur undies that he ran around in. <laughs> Do you not remember He Man? I don't watch He-Man. You don't watch He-Man? No. And the Masters of the Universe? I'm aware of it. I just didn't watch it. Did you watch She-Ra? No. No. I was, so, more, I was more a BBC guy for <laughs> children's TV programs. These were on ITV. I'm, I'm amazed that you knew that that's what I was watching the other day. I'm aware of it. Okay. Because that's, that's the reboot. That's not even the original <clears throat> She-Ra that I was watching. No, but I saw something about somebody complaining about how how Shira wasn't sexy uh, anymore, sexy anymore, and and accusing something of being woke. That's stupid. And is she a lesbian now or something? Yeah. Uh, and going on about how when he was growing up, uh, you didn't care about that sort of thing. Well, some people cared. Yeah, I. No, no, no. He didn't. Yeah. Yeah, he's one person. This is a guy. All of these men need to need to stop and think that they're only one person. I don't know why I get notifications that he's posted a new video, but I do. Uh-huh. And every time he posts a new video, I go on, dislike it, 
mm-hmm. and then come out of it again. Yeah. Yeah. So she wrote, spoiler alert, she, at the very last episode, she and Katra do hook up. Well, not really hook up. They kiss because they're still like 16, 17 years old in the in the in the reboot. They're younger. So complaining about them not being sexy is kind of creepy. I'm fine with her being a lesbian. I don't approve of that relationship because Katra is horrible to her like all the way through. And also Katra and She-Ra share, share a mother, essentially, an adopted mother. And that just feels really incestuous. Anyway. I is, feel like we're getting further from the, the Corey News path that we, <laughs> we tentatively started. In the opposite of hero news. Oh, villain news. Yes. Michelle Collins, who played Stella Price on Corey, took a picture of a homeless man without his consent and shared it on social media. While she claims it was to raise awareness of the homeless crisis, the fact that she pointed out that he was in an affluent area and that she did nothing more to help him or post links to help the homeless and just stepped over him feels a little bit icky. Also, people don't take pictures of other people without their consent. Just... Just don't do it, whether it's a homeless person or a fat person at your gym or, you know, the most beautiful person you've ever seen in the world walking around your grocery store. Don't take people's pictures without their consent and absolutely don't post them on social media. And if you all would just go to Comic-Con every once in a while, you'd know this. Why are you ranting about this? Well, because it's... Once again, getting a little bit away from Corey News. Well, no, because... This is something that I think a lot of people do, and they think that it's fine, and it's not fine. And that's all I'm saying. Finally, excellent news. As we hear that Sue Devaney is set to return to reprise her role as Debbie, our Kev's sister. Unlike Collins, our beloved Sue is working hard to fight the homelessness crisis, working with charity Big Issue North, and speaking candidly about her own issues with addiction and mental illness. Bravo to our Sue. So we begin and we end with heroes. And that's Corey News. So it's a shit sandwich then. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> well, our mailbag. Christy on Twitter says, I was initially on the fence with Carla being back in the factory as I would have preferred her to start something new and fresh. But as it doesn't seem to be a rush to do that, I'm glad she and her sass is back. Yes, we do love Carla's sass. And then we got a little bit from Chris that I'm going to leave until later. Why? Because it kind of spoils things. Oh. And now, this. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to Last Year Tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about the Quad Father. <laughs> that would be Chedney. And it was Bernie who called him that. Yes. Was it? Well, also, like, mistaking mistaking his, his actual name and calling him Chutney. Chutney, yeah. Funnily enough, the, um, the name of the killer in Legally Blonde. That's who, right. Who was also... Who's also... Um, Velma in Velma in, this, in the live-action Scooby-Doo's. And she also does the voice of Velma in most of the movies. She's in everything. Yeah. 
What else did we did we notice she was in? Oh, she's the mom in uh, Daddy's Home. And Daddy's Home too. By extension, Daddy yeah. Home too. Who does think? I know. Because I like, what, I loved her in Scooby Doo. I thought I'd watch more of her movies, but I, I clearly didn't. But, but then I did. You did without realizing it. Legally Blonde is one of your favorite movies. It's in my top five, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I was Gavin, and you were a luddite. Two minutes in, you revealed this was because you were listening to your record player all week. That's right. We are I... off on vacation this week, this weekend. <sighs> R.I.P. to vacation. Because uh, I think we took a break, or we did Monday, Wednesday. Right. And then didn't do the Friday and caught up with the Friday the, the next week. Right. We didn't do that this week. No. I have ordered you more stuff. <laughs> it's not... If it doesn't get here by my birthday, it's fine. It might not. It's fine. And I'm not sure how impressive it's going to be, even if it does. Because remember how long it took for your anniversary present to get here? Well, that was this week. It was last week. Was it last week? Yeah. But I ordered it the 1st of July. I also, around the same time, ordered some sandals that were shipped around the same time, and they still haven't gotten here. Hmm. But lots of other things that I, that I myself have shipped have gotten to their destinations so it's it's really mailing anything by the u.s postal service right now is is more or less playing russian roulette back to this week yes last week last week this year this year last year year. (laughs) gary of all trades and master of none finds himself trying out a new role which is a bit like and at the deep end with chris Searle out of off off the 80s hiya kids (laughs) <laughs> Gemma's mum Bernie shows up and there's more Gemma's mum than anyone could have possibly guessed Yevon has a very exacting standards when it comes to electrical work Kev certainly has a problem with Paula Liz and Tracy find out the secrets of Steve's gym bag and Kirk has an itchy arse I remember he had an itchy arse all week yeah and then he made Aggie look at it or, or was that another time he, he had a itchy ass or something wrong with his ass and made somebody look at it? I know he made Rana look at something. Yeah, but Rana's dead by now. Yeah. <clears throat> Still crushed by that. Moment <laughs> of the week was Listen Tracy finding the horn in Steve's gym bag. And the boring moment of the week was Ed unexpectedly finishing Roy's rewiring sooner than expected. Aha. Uh-huh. Shall we dive in, my dear? Yes, please. Our first story today is Tim's fucking dad. What a fucking tit. <clears throat> this was good this week. It was good. Creepy, but good. And huzzah, we've, we have met Tim's mom now. Is it? When she says she made the biggest sacrifice anyone could ever be expected to make. Which is give up Tim? Which is give up your child, yes. Even if it's Tim? Well, he wasn't Tim at the t- time. He was, was baby. Tim. He was baby Tim. That's different. Little Tim. That's what I thought as well. But they've been very obtuse about it, or she's been very obtuse about it. I don't know why. Anyway, on Monday, Tim's dad is in Roy's Rolls talking with Brian about his hospital radio show. That's still a thing. Convincing Brian to download the hospital <laughs> radio app. I hate that, don't you? When friends pressurise you to get into their content, like their podcast or whatever. Don't you hate it when your friends do that to you? <laughs> Hi all of our friends who listen to this and don't watch Coronation Street. How you doing? Possibly just Steve. <laughs> <laughs> he 
He's worried that his bosses think that he's irrelevant. Just let that sit there for a moment. He's irrelevant. <clears throat> he is irrelevant. Brian's more a true crime podcast kind of guy and thinks Tim's dad should do something on air about the incident. But then it's like kind of backs off about it. Mm. They chat about the upcoming trial and how Tim's dad hopes that it doesn't go that far and then Brian drops a bombshell that Sally has agreed to be a witness for the defence. Tim's dad had no idea. Brian says Tim tried to stop it, but Sally's mind was made up. Thank God I have my radio show today, says Tim's dad. Why, says Brian. You'll just have to wait and see, says Tim's dad. Remember when you wanted to do a true crime podcast? I kind of still do, but I don't think we have capacity to do five podcasts. No, especially since one of the four we've we've really kind of dropped the ball on quite recently. I suppose we could do a common language about true crime, like the most horrible serial killers on, on both shores or something. Mm. A very short-lived uh, true crime podcast then. Well, it would be like an episode of Common Language. It wouldn't be its own podcast. Maybe we can discuss this. Somewhere else. Yeah. In the prison, Yasmin is sorting books with Lucy and reveals that she's getting a visit from a women's charity today. Lucy doesn't think she should meet someone she doesn't know. Yasmin says Tim Stad has finally admitted to needing help to address his behaviour and has admitted to treating her badly. Maybe she doesn't need any help from a charity after all. And she'll be telling this to this Elaine lady later. She explains to the uninterested Lucy that she that he thinks he's the way he is because of how his ex-wife treated him. Maybe he is sorry. But Lucy isn't buying it. As well she shouldn't. No. Because and even Yasmin seemed to realise while she was talking how ridiculous she sounded. Right. In Roy's roles, Inman is chatting about the trial with Alia and Toya. Alia is really worried that Yasmin is going to cave in and go back to Tim's dad. At hospital, Tim's dad is on the air as he plays with a couple of envelopes suggesting that he's been inundated with good wishes. I thought that was quite funny. Yeah. He's just such an obvious liar. Yeah. He tells his listeners about the recent news and when he walks through the hospital, all he can smell is love. Stinky, sweaty love. How could anyone do this to him? So gross. Oh, it was. Unbelievably gross. Get Comfy says, and he says it's time to set the record straight. He's about as shite a DJ as he is a magician. And then he plays No Honestly by Lindsay DePaul, a song about the inability to live without someone. Mm. Not a nice touch. Well mm. written. Mm. Like Jonathan Harvey, I think. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Ryan is at the cabin looking through the jazz mags and then here's Brian listening to Tim's dad talking about how he's looking forward to getting back with these uh, Yazzie drops. Uh. Ryan says this is all a bunch of shite. Yasmin wouldn't do anything unless she was pushed. Then Tim's dad puts on the first cut is the deepest. Really? Mm. Like going through the Mm. subtly ironic Mm. song Mm -hmm. titles here. Yes. Later, it's Sally's turn to visit the cabin, and Brian mentions that he's heard Tim's dad on the radio on the hospital radio app earlier. Haven't the patients suffered enough? Says Sally. <laughs> Zing. <laughs> <clears throat> Brian mentions what Tim's dad was talking about vis a vis forgiving Yasmin. Brian uh, mentions that he spilled the beans about Sally's testimony, but Sally, initially pissed off, says, "Well, thanks, you've saved me a job." It's time for Yasmin's visit with Elaine, the charity lady. She sits down and they introduce themselves. Elaine says that she needs to be honest. She's nothing to do with a charity. She lied so Yasmin would be more likely to say yes to the visit. There are things that you need to know about your husband, she says. Like what? asks Yasmin. 
Elaine knows what she's been through. You have no idea what I've been through, says Yasmin. But Elaine says that she has. She was also abused by Tim's dad mm-hmm. for years. Yes. Hoofed. Also <clears throat> kind of hinting towards her being Tim's mum. I didn't feel that she hinted towards it on the Monday, but maybe maybe hmm. later in the week. On Wednesday, Yasmin thinks Elaine is one of the prostitutes. But no, <laughs> Elaine has heard of Yasmin's case and explains that he isolated her from her family, called her an alky, accused her of sleeping with her brother, oh. and drew crosses on the wall to make sure that she was doing the, the cleaning. Sound familiar, Yasmin? <sighs> Yasmin explains about Tim's dad's allergies, but Elaine says that's all pish. The same as his heart complaint and his dodgy leg. It's all bullshit. Right. So she's clearly talking from a position of knowledge here. Yes. Yes, those are spe- those are some very specific specifics. <laughs> very specific specifics. Yeah. The alky, the the jealousy, the red crosses on the on the wall. What disappoints me even more is that the fact that he he's got nothing new. I mean, maybe locking her in the box, right? And making her eat the chicken, I guess. But yeah, oh, he just returns to form, basically, doesn't mm-hmm. he? Um, what amazes me, and I guess he was really, really young when this would have happened, is that Tim doesn't remember any of this. Because you'd think a child would would notice little red X's everywhere, and their their parents fighting and stuff. Mm-hmm. Poor Tim, he's been so. He's been gaslit his whole life. I mean, we're we're sorry for Yasmin. Of course we are. Obviously, yeah. But Tim has had to deal with his father essentially lying to him and manipulating him and gaslighting him his whole life. Mm-hmm. His whole life. These two scenes, though, that kind of bridled Monday and Wednesday mm-hmm. with Elaine and Yasmin talking, mm-hmm. I think were just... It was superb. Yes. It was like... um here's this kind of validation of somebody who's completely separate from the the situation somebody who hasn't been involved in it would not know anything about this right sits down and says what you experienced and what you think you experienced is true yes because here i am telling you what i experienced and it, and it's the same right. and she doesn't even know that it's the same no she has no idea yeah cuz she's like cuz she's like saying to him um she's saying to her you know what he did? He did this little X thing, and he's not. And she's not saying, "Did he do the little X thing with you?" No. Yeah. Timbot four thousand says shit just got interesting. Really did Timbot. <laughs> Timbot. Timbot. Really did Timbot. <laughs> I made. I made I'm, a new button. I'm so. I'm so glad she has a new phrase. Right. <laughs> it was time. It was time. I might retire some of the older ones. Yeah, well, you cannot you cannot retire does not compute, but eventually no. we can well, we can I, retire the fling shited himself. We've got this one that's that's completely relevant now. Timbot four thousand says this Abby and Kev thing is the dog's bollocks. Okay, that, that's that's pretty irrelevant now, so we could get rid of that. I don't ever remember you using that one. Did we ever use that? <laughs> used it a couple of times. Yeah. Really? What's, what's this one? I am Timbot4000, Tim's fucking dad okay, can go and fling shite at himself. Yeah. And then we've got the game show music. But that's for another podcast. That's for another podcast. <laughs> and then there's, that, there's this. Okay, bye, okay, bye.
episode. And that's also for another ep- a, a different podcast. Right. So I can't. I can't. Let's I can have really the get... episode. Your the one that you spent the least amount of time on. <laughs> it takes uh, the, the Tim the Timbot. Uh-huh. They, they take a ridiculous amount of time to to put together. Yes. Whereas book up of the episode did not. <laughs> Because the little app that I've got to do the robot voice doesn't want you to record it. So you have to record it by other means and then get it out of that mm. and then into this app. Mm. And the only way you can do that is to get it on the Dropbox. Ugh. Mm. It is a hassle coupled with a burden. No buttons for poaching the bar. We don't really need buttons for no. poaching the bar. We have our nice music. Right. Anyway. <laughs> so, for some reason, Tim's dad tries to get all aggro to Sally outside the rovers, taunting her that he bets that she can't wait to tear him to shreds on the stand tomorrow. She accuses him of ripping the family apart, and she can't begin to imagine what he's done to Yasmin. So, get it right up, you Tim's dad. And then she walks off. She's she won't be she won't be cowed by him, and and she won't she won't really engage too no, much. He's picked the wrong person. If he's expecting to be able to. Bully Sally. Absolutely. She'd kick his ass. Absolutely. Back in the prison, Yasmin wants to know which ex Elaine is, but she's reluctant to reveal. It's complicated, she said, but she ran away and paid a heavy price. She says Tim's dad is very much capable of violence. <gasps> Yasmin wants Elaine to go and wishes her well. Elaine tells her to read up on coercive control. I have a thought. What if Tim is not the only bigamist in the family? What if Tim's mum and Tim's dad never got divorced? She just ran away. Ooh. And so they're still legally married. That would make his marriage with Yasmin null, null and, and void. void. Which means he does not have a share in anything. Ooh. That's that would a be thought. interesting. That would be fun. I would enjoy that. Hmm. Uh, is it too much of a pretty bow? Just to finish everything <laughs> off. It would be funny considering, you know, that would mean that bigamy runs in the family. It's in their genes. Mm. <laughs> oh. I don't know. There's too much bigamy on Coronation Street, as it is, I think, without introducing more. But I think that certainly would be a way to kind of press the reset button as far as Jasmine was concerned. Mm-hmm. That's him out of the speed dial, that's him out of the house, mm-hmm. that's him out of everything. Yep. Hmm. Back in her cell, Yasmin's catching up with Lucy, who got her the book on coercive control. Yasmin doesn't know what to think. Lucy tells her that's the perfect time to start reading. Yeah, a good book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tim turns up at Tim's dad's with some leftovers for his dinner. Then Tim's dad gets a call from Yasmin, which he pretends is from his lawyer. Mm -hmm. So, Tim... Go away, Tim. I don't know why he would hurry out. It's a private phone call, Mm. I guess, but it's your dad. Eh, who knows? Anyway. She asks after him, and he says that he's lost. He's doing all he can to get her home. She says that she's the luckiest woman alive, but there's something extra in her voice and her yes, demeanour that makes you think, and I'm not sure that you mean any of this. No. He complains about the trial, saying, saying that he feels like he's the one in the spotlight, Mr. Cellophane, Tim's dad. Ah, oh, Mr. Cellophane. He's got a really strange 
his impression of what other people think of him is. Right, yeah. That he's some kind of lovable buffoon. Yeah. When everyone thinks he's a prick. Yeah, except for Tim. Tim's uh-huh. the, uh, Tim and Faye are the only ones who think he's a lovable buffoon. She says that she'll be home by his side soon, and he says how happy that makes him. She says she wonders sometimes why she was put on this planet, and he interrupts her to say it's to keep him happy. Oh, fucking shut up, Tim's dad, she says. And then she reveals, oh, and his face just... Yeah. Instantly changes. Absolutely, which is great. She reveals that she had a visitor today, very illuminating. A travelling torch salesman, he asks. You think you're so funny, she says, and he, like the arsehole he is, chuckles as he agrees. Yeah, I'm really funny. She tells him that he's as funny as a car crash, and his manner changes again. Who was it, he demands. She refuses to tell him, but says it's someone that he used to be in a relationship with and who he bullied and coerced, just like he did with her. And if he doesn't know who that is, well, it means the list is as long as your arm. All those stories about how he was the one who was bullied and belittled, and all this time he was projecting. He denies it and calls her stupid for even thinking about it. But her eyes are open now. She's never going back with him, and even if she's found guilty, it'll be worth it never to have to share his bed again. And he calls her a bitch. Charming. She says. Yeah. Get used to the view from your window, he says. You're going to be there for a while. And then they both hang up. And Yasmin should definitely have got the last word in that conversation. Yeah. Oh, well. She'll get the last word eventually. Oh, just... She deserved the last word. And it, mm. it annoyed me a little bit. That he gets to call her a bitch and then tell her to settle in for a long haul. In the... Oh, she did call him charming for the whole bitch thing. Yeah. Sarcastically. I loved it. I loved the whole thing. I loved I loved how strong she was and, and how she, you know, you're about as funny as a car crash. <laughs> it's a little bit of the old Yasmin back. And that, that made me... Oh, very much so, yeah. That made me very happy. Because mm-hmm. we haven't seen her in over a year. It was a really, really long scene as well at the end. There's a couple of really, really long scenes in, in this week's episodes. But without having to cut and go away to talk about... I don't know, a pimple on Kirk's arse and then come back and, <laughs> and and pick this back up again. Right. I give it a little bit of time to <clears throat> to have more impact and you know, they they could really they could really get in a deep or a long conversation without having to worry about being interrupted and just having this as one three or four minute scene I think worked really, really well. Mm-hmm. Then on Friday Yasmin wakes up in her cell. A guard shouts that it's breakfast time. She moves through to the dining area to discover that the guard is actually Tim's dad. <gasps> and there's two guards on a hired gantry, and they're Tim's dads too. <gasps> Both of them. Three Tim's dads. Ah! The Tim's dad at the breakfast says it's that like he was surprised. It's like a Tom Petty video all over again. <laughs> it's horrifying. He says that he was surprised that Yasmin got sentenced to life in solitary, but now he's here, the time will fly by. And then one of the ones in the gantry flicks his p- pen... And the one that the breakfast turns into Tim's dad being the magician, the great Ugh. Magnifico, and suddenly Yasmin is in her glamorous assistant's dress, and Tim's dad is ready to, for her to get back in her box. And as she backs away, she suddenly wakes up, mm-hmm. and it's revealed to be obviously a dream sequence. Now, yes. Before we get into our thoughts on this technique, let me just say that every opinion I've read on this has been almost exclusively praise. The only dissenting voice I've heard is that of. Or Mary Tart, Scott. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
What do you? What are your thoughts? I, I hated it. You hated it. Mm-hmm. Why did you hate it? I don't think there's any place in Coronation Street for dream sequences. It's a soap opera. Of course, there's places. It's not place Dallas. It's not Dallas, and it's not Neighbours. I really, I don't like a dream sequence. I think it's a cheap. This is not the first dream sequence we've had on Coronation Street. Well, you think back, and you could, I guess, argue that Gemma had a little dream sequence thing when she imagined the quads rolling into the washing machine, and for the washing machine, and the and then rolling into the road, right, and stuff. And you liked those, yeah. I'm a complicated man. Yes, you are. That didn't seem to be as intrusive as this was. I don't know. And it, it did, just didn't feel like a dream. Because it kind of made too much sense. Well, it didn't feel like a dream until you look up and the guard is Tim's dad, who would obviously never be a prison guard, ever. No, but... It's, it's... Then you're like, oh, this is a dream. And then with the other two, it's like, oh, yeah, well, we already know this is a dream. This may be a little bit of overkill, but... It's creepy and it's spooky and it gives you a little bit of insight into her thoughts and her and her personal terror. So there is a reason for it. It does serve a purpose. It it allows us to it allows us some insight into Yasmin's internal monologue. Was it necessary to further the story along? Maybe not, because we all know how terrified she is of him. But I don't, I think this scene is there because they had something else planned that they could no longer do because of social distancing and because of the pandemic and everything. Right, and the Friday episode, I think, is episode one of, there's been scenes here and there that I think have been reshot. Right. But I think Friday was the first episode where it was fully yes. post-end-of-the-world thing. Well, not really post-end-of-the-world, because we're, well, we're still in the mix. During, right. <laughs> so, I, I, th- I think if they were thinking off the cuff, and okay, we were going to do X, but we can't do X anymore, so let's come up with something else that would fill the space... That would, if not necessarily further the story along, give you a taste of, you know, what's going on with this character. I think it's pretty good. If this was like a normal everyday, if we were, if we were back in 2019 and this happened, I would probably say, yeah, it's a bit schlocky. And goofy, while also being terrifying, because nobody wants even one Tim's dad, much less three Tim's dads. Oh God, no! So I don't know. I think just as I, as, I, 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 I think put pe- on my my writer's hat here and say, as a writer, I think just the whole it's just a dream trope is a little lazy. Eh. Again. It's it's fine. It's not like they do it all the time. And anybody who says it's Coronation Street, they shouldn't have dream sequences on Coronation Street, I feel are being a little too precious. Because it is a soap opera. And yes, it's not Dallas. 
but it is a soap opera. And so you're going to have, this is a show where somebody died via hairdryer. Yeah, but that was like decades ago. Right. So it's a show that does strange and goofy things at times. And because it is a soap opera. Oh, I, I, I get that I'm completely in the minority here. Yeah. Because I've read the opinions and it's it's been, I think Metacritic would call it universal praise. Mm-hmm. It, I, think, I was just like, the same with the split screen. I don't like the split screen. No, the split screen is, it, the split screen is at this point overused here and wasn't very well done with the not being equal and everything. Did not like the split screen. This, I mean, and it also, it felt like it was technically very well done. You know, it didn't. Oh, I... it was it was brilliantly shot, and there was lots of social distancing between all of these people, and in 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 a time where American soap operas are buying mannequins and and blow up dolls to stand in for actual people oh. for kissing scenes. Oh, really. Yes, Holy for kissing shit. sequences. This is fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've I've heard that there, there may be some mannequin action next week. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, <laughs> like uh, Team America. As <laughs> <laughs> uh, if that whole, as if the Daniel storyline couldn't get creepier. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly, Nikki is a mannequin. Or the, like a stuffed, a stuffed animal or something in a sweater. <laughs> I imagine that that little scene took all day. Mm-hmm. You know, and the the, the post production they're getting mm-hmm. the two Tim's dads to be in shot at the same time, and right. All that sort of stuff. I, I'm sure that was a, a huge amount of effort. So, right. a huge amount of effort, which means a huge amount of money, which means a huge amount of thought has gone into doing this. Absolutely, I, I, I don't believe for a second that it's ill-considered. Right. I just didn't feel as it was right. Anyway. Anyway. We've talked about that for quite long enough. I am, I am, I am Switzerland in this. I can go either way. I've heard that rumour. At home, <laughs> Tim is having a go at Sally for not sticking up for Tim's dad. He's worried about testifying and being grilled by Paula, but not like that. Sally tells him to tell the truth and let the facts speak for themselves. What does that mean? Asked Tim. What do you mean, what does that mean? Is that clear what that means? Mm. Tell the truth. Tell the truth. In comes Tim's dad, ready for his day in court. <coughs> Sally blanks him as he leaves as she leaves for work. Tim's dad is put out uh, by everyone treating him like he's the villain of the piece. Tim insists that he's loyal and knows Tim's dad is a decent bloke. Thanks, son, says Tim's dad. Tim's dad is concerned that a mysterious witness is going to come forward, tell a pack of lies and get his cow wife off. He's changed his tune since he last spoke with Tim about this. One thinks at the time. Mm-hmm. Other overs, Ryan is looking for a cheeky wee few hours off for the court later, but Jenny is distracted by the name of Baby Ducks and a grieving window cleaner, so it's not clear if this request is granted or not. Later, Imran is standing two metres away from Yasmin at the prison. He can't make any guarantees, but he thinks that she has a good chance today. Yasmin mentions the visitor that she had yesterday, Elaine, who had been abused by Tim's dad. Elaine Jones, she thinks. She wanted to help, and Imran wanted to know uh, about all this yesterday. This could blow this case wide open. 
Are you about ready to go? And then Yasmin isn't looking so great and then collapses. And Imran, still two metres away, calls for help. Yes. I think that was about the only time I really noticed that people were... Two metres away. When, in normal circumstances, they wouldn't. Because mm-hmm. Imran would... Would have rushed over and... and yeah. Helped her and yeah. made sure she was comfortable and stuff. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Back on the street, Ryan is washing the rover's windows. When El- oh, this is this was awfully good. When Elaine keeks her head round the corner and watches Tim and Tim's dad head to their car. This is why I also think she's Tim's dad, or Tim's mum. <laughs> Tim's dad being an asshole as usual, berating Tim for having the temerity to ask if Tim's dad's got petrol. Do you think I'm going to miss seeing this bitch get sent down, says Tim's dad. Well, you've changed your fucking tune, says Tim, just as you were all still in love with her. Tim's dad says it's a criminal trial and Yasmin is a criminal. Not that that explains his change of heart. No. Then scared, Elaine goes to hide back around the corner but kicks Ryan's bucket, but not like that. And then <laughs> Alia comes running to tell Ryan that she's off to the hospital. There's something wrong with her gran. There was just so much happening in that scene. Right, yeah. Oh. It was great. <laughs> it really was. Yeah. And I'm very much enjoying uh, the Elaine character. Yes, me too. She looks like she could be Tim's mum. Doesn't she? If I picture Tim's mum, that's kind of what I picture. I picture a bald woman. (laughs) Heavily tattooed. (laughs) Do you think a bald woman heavily tattooed would ever be cowed uh, by Tim's dad? With a uh, five o'clock shadow. Driving a taxi. In other words, Tim. Kind of sounds like a character on a She-Ra. But anyway. <laughs> so, Tim and Tim's dad have gone to court, uh, learned that Yasmin is in hospital and that the trial has been postponed and driven all the way home again, parked the car, walked to the house, opened the door, walked in, and this is the moment Tim's dad chooses to say, well, that was a waste of time. Yeah. <laughs> Hilarious. T- Tim's dad thinks Yasmin is faking it. It's a scam. Tim thinks that she might have coronavirus. Oh. Got our first little mention of coronavirus there. There you go. And irate Tim's dad insists that this is all fucking bullshit and she won't be able to fool the doctors and he storms out or up the stairs or somewhere. And Sally looks mmm. Well, isn't this a, is the second the second reference to because um, Jenny, when she's talking to the plumber, the plumber's father has just died of, of COVID-19. Yeah, but she doesn't say it. She implies it very strongly. Well, it's implying it is not saying it. Yeah. Tim's dad is the first one to say it. In the storyline. Maybe she's got that coronavirus. <laughs> that sounded better in my head than I'm sure it sounded in my ear. <sighs> uh, so, uh, Ryan gets to the doctor and Alia tells him that Yasmin has had a heart attack. They're doing tests though and Ryan thinks that she'll be fine. And they allow them in the hospital. But they don't allow them to see her. Right. But I don't know if they're not allowed to see her because, because, mm-hmm. or if it's because they're doing tests or whatever. But she says that they're not allowed to see them. Right. Or, I'm getting my pronouns mixed up all over the place today. Yeah. So here's what Chris, yes, that one, thought about this. Uh-huh. In our mailbag. What a brilliant week in the continuing saga of Tim's fucking dad. It's finally ramping up and I love when he loses control and drops the kindly forgiving I'm the injured party at and spits out his uncontrolled bile and venom as he did on the phone to Yasmin this week. 
Although we're having to wait a bit longer for the trial, presumably to facilitate the older actor's leave of absence, his comeuppance can't be far away, especially now Chrissy from Man About the House has turned up. I, <laughs> I assume she's Tim's fucking mum, and oh my lord, how amazing was the Yasmin's dream sequence. So again, more praise for the dream sequence. Was that, what, is that really Chrissy from Man About the House? Yes. Oh! <laughs> Brill! Mm-hmm. It is, as you say, Brill. <laughs> Yes, but not Chrissy from Three's Company. That was Suzanne Summers. I think they had different names, didn't they? No, there was a Chrissy. Yeah, it was Chrissy. Chrissy. Chrissy was the only one who has the same name in both shows. Was it? It's Chrissy, Janet, and um. Why not, am I? Not Robin. Not Robin. Yeah, I don't even think it started with an R. Oh God. And what are the Ropers? They weren't the Ropers, were they? They were the Ropers. Were they? Yes, Helen and... Um, they, they, the last name was the same, but I think the first names were different. Like George and Mildred over here. Right, yeah. It was Helen and um, Stan, I think. I just remembered it was Helen because she had... You know, because her name was Helen, just like me, and were those glorious moo-moos all the time. <laughs> she was fabulous. A- anyway. <laughs> your thoughts on this storyline this week? John Ritter played him, and I can't remember his name. R.I.P. John Ritter. I, yeah, no, I'm liking it. I mean, obviously, and and I think, I think the heart attack was a great way to, um, to work around the whole court thing. It's like, oh, great, we can't film any court sequences right now. So what are we going to do? I know, let's give Yasmin a heart attack. And I think the dream sequence actually facilitated that. Yeah. Yeah. See? See? Oh, like I said, I I don't think it was ill-considered. I think it's... I think showing her mental state, Mm -hmm. her her agitation and how Mm -hmm. um, worked up she was kind of leads you on to think, well, this heart attack wasn't just completely out of the blue. Right. And you're right, it does get her out of the storyline for Mm -hmm. a while. Yeah. Until they can get some scenes filmed right. with her. Although I don't know how long you typically stay in hospital after a heart attack. I don't think it's very long. Well. Because if it doesn't kill you. Depends how bad it is. And if they have to like do surgery and put stents in and and everything. But, you know, at first I was like, oh God, hasn't Yasmin been through enough? Why are they giving her a heart attack? I just want the storyline to end. But then when I considered it and I thought about it, I was like, actually, this is quite brilliant. This is a good way to kind of prolong this because they can't film mm-hmm. any court scenes at the moment. Right. So, well done to the show. I'm, I'm, uh, overall, o- overall, I think they've done a really good job of, of this so far. The Tim's dad stuff or the... The filming... The film and stuff, yeah. Well, uh, while under coronavirus, I mean, I think we'll perhaps talk about this in other storylines as well. Yes, but we yeah, will. I, I think they've done <laughs> they've done about as good a job as you could possibly yeah. want them to do. There was people that were wanting a time jump, yeah, which is awful. Yeah, for all these storylines that've been building up and building up, just nothing happens to them for right. a period of time for months. Right, some of them would, would just go away. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. Right. So having this food that they're basically saying, let's pretend that this has always been a thing mm-hmm. of 
it was like this last week as well, but you just didn't notice. Mm -hmm. I think that approach only asks you one time to buy into it. Mm -hmm. Because next week it'll be just the same as this week. So, mm. so I think that... I, I don't see how they could have done it any better. I, I still kind of would rather that they hadn't. Yeah. But doing it this way, I think, is... Right. is and if they the hadn't, way. we wouldn't have a podcast. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, don't make any references to it. Oh, yeah. So the, all the posters that are up and... Yeah. It's it's just, it's subtle. I mean, nobody is in masks, but at this point in everyone's response to the pandemic, nobody was wearing masks. I think that will come later. And we, but still. Anyway, yeah. There's only I have only one complaint, and we'll get to it when we get to that storyline. Okay. And you know what it is. I think it might be up on the screen at the moment. Yes, it is. <laughs> It's not that bad. It's, anyway, it's noticeable. Moving on. Uh, well, there's a few haircuts that are noticeable. Well, and, no, and no. This is... The, just keep going. I saw Sally Ann Matthews on Twitter uh, saying that basically she had to do her own makeup, which is why her eyeliner was all wonky, which, which was quite... I didn't quite even amazing. notice her I eyeliner. didn't notice that either. You know, and Tim and Tim's dad have no issues with hair. No. And most of the women can do their own hair. Sally's uh, fringe was quite long. Yeah, it was long, but it was it still looked like a Sally. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 She's, still, she's fine. She looks fine. Twins down under. On Monday, Kev bumps into Seb and Roy's roles and tells him that Abby doesn't deserve this treatment from him. Seb inquires as to whether Kev is under the misguided delusion that he's an employee of Seb as a wellness professional to aid Seb in improving his relationships, <laughs> career opportunities and goals. Kev, beaten by Seb's silver tongue, wanders away. <laughs> At home, Abby's packing and Sally is feeling a... Uh, <laughs> Sally is feeling a bit emoji. Don't you mean emosh? Turn that frown upside down, says Abby. She's only moving over the road with her ex. Seriously. Abby is very appreciative. With, with, with Sally's ex. Yes. Yeah. Abby is very appreciative of the help Sally gave her, but she's ready to move on to the next stage of her life. Then Abby looks like she's had a few new tattoos done as she moves into Kev's, which consists of a few black bags of stuff. A nun would have more stuff, says Abby. She offers to cook something fancy to celebrate, maybe some pasta. So Abby's at the corner shop getting provisions for dinner. Imran pretends to be impressed. In comes Rain on Anyone's Parade Seb, who catches <laughs> the, the gist of Abby's uh, fancy dinner conversation. Abby invites him round, but then he brings up the twins. Abby sticks their guns. This was for the best. They'll have a great life in Australia, and she'll be setting him a place at the dinner table, so it's up to him if he wants to come or not. But she'd love him to be there, no matter how much of a raging buzzkill he is. <laughs> oh, on Wednesday... Emma and Alina are in a booth at the Rovers discussing Seb and Emma thinks that he's got existential angst, just like her aunt, who is now dead because she walked into a concrete hanging basket because she was wearing platform trainers and always misjudged her height. <laughs> Later, Emma walks into a bench and Seb checks that she's okay. She goes on incessantly about her socials and how she had a really good post to make. Back at the flat, Seb has revealed how he's torn about whether uh, he should go to Abby's for dinner. Seb tries to make a joke about Abby's cooking not being not being so much cordon bleu, it should be cordoned off. Ha 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 Emma says you only get one mum, so cheer the fuck up, you miserable prick, and go get a free dinner off your mum. All this stuff with Oliver has taught Emma to be uh, a massive clingy thing with her family, and this seems to do the trick. 
Sadly, though, it seems that Seb has missed the boat. Dinner has been had and Jack has legged it to his room, says Kev. I know. Without Ouch. An, an... Ouch, without a hint of irony. <laughs> he's legged it to his room. But no, no, he's the only one who's eaten. It's Jack is the only one who's eaten. The other, um, Kev and Sally haven't eaten yet. Their bowls are clean. So obviously... Can, can we... Before you continue, because you just kind of plowed through that scene with uh, Emma and Alina and Seb, did you catch on that Alina seems a little upset how Seb listens to to Emma and took Emma's advice? Yeah, a little bit. Interesting. It it kind of feels like Alina still uh, has a has feelings for Seb. Of course she does. Hmm. Because it's the only reason that she's in the show. It can't be the only reason she's in the show. At the moment, it is. Yeah. They needed more young people. That's why she's in the show. That's why they brought her back. It's all about the ratio. So, Abby is down in the dumps that Seb never showed up. And then there's a knock at the door and Seb shows up. Huzzah! So they have a nice family meal, just the three of them. Yep. All bored out their skull at Seb being there. Oh, of course, it's good. It's I'm I'm glad that they aren't dragging out him being mad at her again. Again, yeah. I'm I'm glad that this, you know, that Emma's Emma's wise words helped <laughs> right. with this. Such a such insight. Yes. Our next storyline today is uh, the Oliver slash. Foster thing, which only happened for one scene on Monday. In Roy's roles, Imran wants to chat to Toya about kickstarting this fostering thing again now that they have Leanne's approval, but Toya is strangely reluctant to talk about it just yet. Mm-hmm. And nothing else happened. That nope. was it. So. Because I think she's like, well, Leanne says she's fine with it, but is she really fine with it? And I want to wait until Oliver's dead and then we can do it. <laughs> <sighs> That was implied. Yeah. Yeah, it was. And this is this is this marks the last scene of people sitting down in the rovers. Or not the rovers, uh Roy's rolls. Yeah. Because the next time we see Roy's rolls, all of the chairs are, are put up and there are signs all over the place to stand six feet apart or two meters apart. There's a little one way system. Yep. Which is well utilized. Yes. And, and what will be our final storyline Correct. today. Next up, we have Weatherfield Psycho. Daniel. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> At first I was like, is he talking about Gary? No, no, yes, okay. On Monday, Nikki turns up at a hotel room that's already occupied by Daniel. See, he's thinking now. Mm-hmm. There's probably a loyalty program that he was paying for, <laughs> but this way he gets the points. Same deal as last time, she asks. He says yes and hands her a bag. She goes to the bathroom and changes into Sinead's long cardigan and gives herself a few squishies of presumably Sinead's perfume. This is creepy as fuck. Daniel, though, seems quite pleased as Nikki lies back in the bed and Daniel snuggles into her. On Wednesday, Daniel is still lying next to Nikki as she pretends to be interested in these stories about Bertie. Her alarm goes off and it's time for her to go. He offers her more money to stay another hour. She's 150 an hour, she says, and that wasn't enough. So he gets his credit card out and they snuggle on the bed again. 
didn't, never... d- didn't she say, you know, you can have some extra time next time, but I really have to go because I have another client? No. Oh. An hour later, and Nikki is ready to go again, but not like that. She says that they could do a lot more for the money that he's paying her, but he says it's not about sex. It's about being as fucking... Thank God! It's about being as fucking creepy as humanly possible. Plus, apparently... Sex would make it more creepy. Plus, apparently he's found this useful, which, if anything, makes the whole thing even creepier. Yes, that he's sleeping through the night now because of of this creepy, 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 creepy thing he's doing. So creepy. Again, I think the general consensus is that this is how he's dealing with his grief, so... And it's creepy AF. (laughs) Everybody finds this creepy. I've read a lot of opinion where they don't. They find it quite sad. Well, sad and creepy. (laughs) Nobody thinks this is great. Nobody thinks this is the way he should be dealing with his grief. Nobody. It's a way of dealing with grief, but it's not the way... (laughs) Oh, and I mean, thank God it's just the cardigan. Um, thank, thank God it's not like all of her clothes. Or getting her to speak in a squeaky voice. Uh, or like do her hair the way Sinead did her hair. She does actually look... A little bit like Sinead. Right, if you kind of squint your eyes a little bit. Right. You can see it. And I think we we realize that almost from the very beginning, because mm-hmm. when the when Daniel is looking at that selfie that he took of him and Nikki, and the picture of Sinead is like right there, right, right. behind him, mm-hmm. you can see that they, they kind of look alike. They don't sound alike, though. No. But at least now they smell alike. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. This is just I'm just glad me... they're not having sex. I think that I'd... would be worse. I think I'd prefer them to be having sex. No, no, no. I don't want them to have sex while she's wearing Sinead's clothes. No, no, no. Because that's what would happen. No, I don't I don't want that either. I would rather he just gets his old fashioned hole. Yeah, if he was just getting his hole, that would be fine. And I'm kind of I'm kind of surprised. That Nikki is even doing this because this isn't, well, it's not sex work. It's easier for her. Yeah, but it's also creepy AF and she must know it's creepy. She must know. But there's less just to clean up afterwards. So (sighs) that's got to be worth something. I think she, I think she genuinely likes Daniel for some reason. And that's why she's humoring him. Yeah, because I said that she wasn't interested in the Bertie stories, but I think she actually was. Yeah. Why? I don't know. (sighs) But it's creepy, and I'm I'm glad they won't be able to shoot any of these scenes anymore, unless, like I said, it's like a stuffed mannequin's arm, you know, in Sinead's cardigan. (laughs) Around Daniel. Uh, you know, and we don't get any close, uh, you know, and they don't pan back. We're just meant to believe that's Nikki's arm. Uh, just how do you broach that subject? Oh, I don't God. want to, I don't want to. I don't want to shag you. you. I just want you to wear my dead wife's clothes and wear my dead wife's perfume and snuggle with me and let me talk about my son. I guess when you put it like that. Why? Our penultimate storyline. Oh. 
clap for Aggie. On Friday, Michael is off. But not like that. <laughs> Correct. Michael is off to see Grace when Ed comes in, worried about Aggie, who seems to be working all the shifts in the world while he's sitting about in his arse doing nothing. She was out the door before he woke up this morning, and he's concerned that she's running herself into the ground. There must be something they can do to convince her to take it a bit easier, and then I think Ed has an idea, and then that's Mm. all that happens. Yeah. Ed is tiling the bathroom, so Mm. that's something. That's something. Yeah, he's he's been very productive during this time. I think this was a... uh, just their kind of NHS nurses kind of tip of the hat. Right. And of, they probably scene. will have some sort of clapping for Aggie scene where everybody on the street has signs in their windows saying right. thank you, Aggie, for, for being a great nurse and, and people clap for her and stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm more concerned about um, Michael leaving the house to go visit Grace and that we baby during the time of coronavirus, when you're not supposed to be out visiting people. Well, what are the rules, you see? This is a... Especially is in early when days. You, when you decide to go with this, then, mm-hmm. well, how far in this do you go? Because you've already mentioned masks. Right. There's nobody isolating. No. People are going to their work. So... Well, so, not, so you, but, you but then again, it, but not everybody is it? going to their work because Ed is not working and he's kind of isolating because he's in the house and he's not going to jobs and everything. Nina's working in Roy's Rolls, quite the thing. Well, she's an essential worker. Is Roy's Rolls an essential business? Yeah, they're doing takeout, just like the places, just like a number of restaurants around here stayed open and did take out because they're essential workers because they're feeding people mm. and getting them their coffee. The law office was open. Our law office in town's shut. Has been for months. I think they may be open open now. Now that the courts are starting back up again. Oh, excuse me. But yeah, it's... Um, and And to be fair... Was the law office really open because it was just, it's just Adam and then somebody unexpectedly bursting in on Adam and then Adam's wife bringing him coffee. So there wasn't anybody else working in the office, just Adam. So there is some space there. I don't know. Then again, it's typically just Adam because he's already said that he's given Leanne time off. But that's more for the Oliver thing rather right. than the the coronavirus. Yeah. Just happy. Happy accidents. Right. I don't know, it remains to be seen. Yeah. But I think we're going to have some inconsistencies with what you'd expect to happen and what actually does happen because right. I don't think the rules 100% apply. Right, yeah. And that's, I guess, I guess fine. Just so long as it, it, you don't... The show doesn't want us to question anything about this. Yeah. Just accept that it's there... We're still going to question it. Don't though. nitpick it. Because <laughs> we question everything anyway. Don't, that's our job. Don't nitpick it. And I think maybe that's what we call canny on. Our mm. final storyline today is our ginger gangster. On Monday, at number eight, Sarah and Adam are ready to leave for work. <laughs> what? Adam. Adam's hair. Not on Monday. Oh, no, no, that's Sorry, right. Sorry, on Monday. 
Yeah, it's all right on Monday. Sarah's sorry for yesterday. She doesn't want any more talk of Gary and Adam agrees. I think this is part of the problem is that for most of the week his hair is fine and then on Friday it is not fine. It's just a little more voluminous. It's It's flat. (laughs) It's the opposite of voluminous. No, he's got a little... He's got a little... But it's, 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 no, it's not a poof. It's like laying flat like this, like he was struggling very hard to keep his naturally curly hair. Very, very curly hair. From, from, from being curly and doesn't know how to use product himself. I'm sure he must. Just doesn't, just hasn't done a great job of it on Friday. Yeah, his hair is awful and he has a tan. (laughs) And nobody else has a tan. Anyway, anyway, just for the, the picture that's currently up on my computer is of Adam with his flat ironed hair entering into the into the royal role. So that that's kind of what we're looking at as we're attempting to to describe this. Uh, anyway, anyway, uh, no more ginger ninja says Sarah, and she leaves. And Adam is set uh, straight on his phone looking at a photo of a set of keys. Mm. So later in Roy's roles, Adam is on the phone to Safest Houses, the safety deposit place. He spins a lie about a move of house and a lack of recent invoices. He's able to give Gary's details, date of birth, address, and they confirm that the details are correct, and Gary is indeed the owner of Box 379. Clever boy, Adam. Mm-hmm. Do they not wonder why all of a sudden Gary is Scottish? I don't know. A company as big as Safest Houses. <laughs> What did they care? Eh. Gary is weird to Kelly the Chin in Roy's Rolls, who happily admits that she didn't get much sleep because her mum came home <coughs> drunk at 3am. It's her birthday and her mum forgot and that she didn't even get a message from her dad, who's dead in a forest. She also has some worrying bruises on her wrists. Yes. Gary asks about it and Kelly admits that she got into a fight with, uh, with her mum. Gary gives her a wad of cash for her birthday, and now Kelly wonders if Gary is either grooming her or has a guilty conscience. I'm glad that she said that, because yeah. this is so weird. It is weird. Then Gary gets a call from the safest house's people, wondering if he'd got in touch with them earlier. So they must have found... So somebody must have found that suspicious. Right. Later, Laura turns up at the furniture thing to see if Gary has heard from Kelly. Why would Laura think that Gary would know where her daughter is? Because he's been... Creepily stalking her all the time. (coughs) Gary first asks if she's been phoning people pretending to be him and then gets stuck into... (coughs) for beating up Kelly. Rick the Chin's not going to be impressed when I tell him, says Gary. Go on then, call him, taunts Laura, who's had a few choice words for Rick herself. Do your worst. Gary says he's the boss here, and Rick's not the only thing that she has to be scared of. He threatens her, and then sends her quickly packing, and Adam sees this, or at least the last part of it. Yeah, and Kelly the Chin, or not Kelly the Chin, Laura the Chin, correctly points out to Gary that she can't impersonate him because she is a woman. Correct. (laughs) So Adam catches up with Laura in the gunnel and asks what's going on. She explains about Gary the plastic gangster threatening her. Interested in Kelly the Chin, refusing to call Rick the Chin, and then she rushes off. Finally, she's mentioned Gary by name. Conveniently forgetting forgetting to mention the fact that she has beat up her own child. And that she also forgot her birthday. That was a weird development. The, the bruises was kind of strange. 
I know I, she's a shit mum, but I didn't think she was that shit a mum. If she's like coming home drunk and, you know, fighting with her daughter and stuff. She's an awful person. Hmm. In the pub, Adam explains to Imran that he's traced the Kelly money back to Gary. How come the only person Rick the Chin is in contact with is Gary? What if he didn't go to Spain? What if he's dead? <sighs> dum dum dum! Timbot4000 says shit just got interesting. <laughs> right? So Gary is eyeing up the bistro menu when Adam approaches, goading him about seeing Rick the Chin's missus. You want to be careful, says Gary. What would Rick do if you found out? Good point, says Adam. What would he do? What could he do? This is going to have to wait, says Gary, and he goes into the bistro. And later, Adam is waiting for Gary when he comes out, and one wonders aloud why he's so interested in Kelly the Chin. Anyone would think that he had a guilty conscience. Gary initially calls it nonsense, and then says his interest is just because Laura the Chin is beating her, is battering her. Adam says, but yet Kelly can't spend the day with her dad? He says he knows all about the Neelands, and then comes out with it. Why did you kill him? Gary says he's lost the plot, but anyway, he has no proof. He walks away and Adam shouts after him. Whatever he's done will come back to haunt him. He tells Gary to stay safe, as safe as houses. And Gary, with his back to Adam, knows that he's been sussed out. Uh-huh. <laughs> that was great. I loved it. I don't know why Adam, you know, let slip that he's the one who called safe as houses. You'd think that he would want to... Keep that, keep that quiet. No, he wants Gary to know that he knows. <coughs> he knows what? He has a safe deposit box at Safe as Houses? That is linked to Kelly's money. Oh. Yeah, that's true. That was the whole thing. That That's how Kelly's yeah. getting her money is by going to the safety deposit box. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. That's supposedly owned by Rick, but it's actually right. owned by Gary. Yeah. So this is, mm. as Timbo rightly said... Yeah. It's getting real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not, I don't know if I approve of what happens next, though. Let's discuss what happened on Friday. <laughs> on Friday, we have our first scene where COVID-19 is clearly a thing. Gary's in Roy's roles talking to Nina about a fox that he saw wandering down the street and how he can't wait for everything to get back to normal and how it's a chance for everyone to be kinder to people. In comes Adam, who tells Gary to keep his distance and then winds him up about making a killing out of clearing out old folks' homes when they die. Gary storms out and then Sarah comes in, angry at Adam, who has clearly said something to Gary. Why does Sarah fucking care? It's like, I just saw Gary and he's all upset. What did you say to him? It's like, he could be upset about anything. Also, Adam has seen an otter. <laughs> he's never seen an otter before. And there was something about and and Nina, Nina Nina references the uh that city and that town in Wales that got overtaken by wild goats. Right. Nice little touches. Yes. The word otter is quite funny, isn't it? Otters are adorable. Oh yeah. yeah. I love otters. So Gary's cheered up by the time he goes into the cabin where Brian is sweeping on the floor with a metal detector. Brian explains about a kid who recently found Roman coins worth thousands in a local woods, and he's off to try his luck later. Which Woods asks, asks Gary. The Beacon Woods. And immediately Gary becomes weird and creepy and warns Brian off, saying it'll be cleared out by now and he should look somewhere else. But he's so obviously dodgy about it, he looks like he's actually scaring Brian. And he says, I know what I'm talking about. I do know what I'm talking about. Sure. And I wasn't sure why Gary was so concerned about this. It's not like Rick the Chin was C3PO. 
true, but he doesn't really want people poking around in those woods. But, but other people are other going people to be are doing it. other people are going to be poking around in those woods. And he can't control all of them. He just controlled this one. What he needs to do is get a little cordon mm-hmm. and put it around where he's buried. <laughs> Rick the chin and get a little chair, sit in it and just guard it. All day, every day. That's what he's going to need to do. That's the extension of this thinking. Isn't there, isn't there a code with detectorists about about uh, where they can search and stuff, and that they can't they can't bogart other people's? You need to get permission off the landowner. <coughs> but it seems like these are public woods. Yeah, these are public woods. So later, Brian and Bernie are chatting about finding things. Bernie has a nose for a truffle, she says. Brian explains about going to the woods and then Gary's advice warning him off. But Bernie has just seen Gary putting a shovel in the boot of his car and driving off at speed. What a prick, says Brian. And the two of them decide to get in on this treasure action after all. Mm-hmm. Laura is in the law office and she is desperate for Adam's Bobby. She's been paid from Rick and she wants to take him out. It's her treat and she's not taking no for an answer and she's lounging, lounging on the couch when Sarah comes in with and, coffee and, for and Adam. And starting to take her top off, uh-huh. like unbuttoning her top. Who are you? asks Sarah. Well, who the fuck are you? says Laura the Chin. I'm his wife, says Sarah. And Adam says, Laura is a client he helped with some maintenance problems. With formal introductions over, Laura accuses Adam of flirting with her (coughs) and making no mention of a wife. She suspects the marriage is dead in the water already and tells Adam Mm. to call uh, call her when all this is sorted out and then she leaves. Okay, all right. Adam is very clearly wearing a wedding ring. In this scene. As you didn't notice. Yeah, he was very clearly wearing his wedding ring. I know he has taken it off a couple of times when talking to Laura. Yep. But... Normally makes a bit for production of taking it off, so you right. know that he's taking it off. Yeah, but there have been plenty of times, like this one, where he just bumps into her, so he doesn't really have time to take it off. So you'd think she would have noticed by now that he has a wedding ring. What the actual says, Sarah, and Adam confesses that Laura is Rick's ex... Rick the Chin asks Sarah. The very same. She's the key to providing. Uh, she's the key to proving that Gary killed Rick. Sarah is sick of the lengths that Adam appears to be prepared to to go to to get to her ex. This is tearing us apart, she says. And it would appear that as that there has been an incident in the woods. Bernie and Brian rush back. Brian wondering if Gary is still chasing them. Bernie says uh, he had no right speaking to them like that. They had every right to forage. And then Gary's van comes round the corner and a shaken Brian goes off to hide. But Bernie, though, has a few choice words for Gary. Who the fuck does he think he is? They have every right to be in those woods. And you know what? They're going to go right back. And Gary tells them that they can't. Bernie's like, who do you think you are? You can't tell people where they can go. Mm-hmm. And she tells Brian to put the detector back in the car. <coughs> Brian hums and haws a bit. And he's, he goes to put it in the boot. And mm-hmm. then he takes it back out again. And he goes to put it in the boot and he takes it back out again. And as Gary approaches him... He shits himself and and drops it. Mm -hmm. So Gary picks it up and smashes it to fuck on the ground. (laughs) And all of this is seen by Sarah, who's excellent in the factory. You're a fucking nut job, says Bernie. And Brian thinks anger management therapy is called for. (laughs) Bernie says that they didn't find anything anyway, and she heads off to see Gemma and the kids. Sarah asks Gary if he's okay, and he says that it was a typical overreaction on his part, and he's fine now. Then we see a happy Bernie has nosed out another truffle. She digs a watch out of her pocket that has the inscription... To Rick the Chin, love Laura the Chin. 
Dum dum dum. And that's how we end this week's episodes. <sighs> Gary's reaction. There... <laughs> Before we talk about Gary's reaction, which was ridiculous and over the top, because as we pointed out, there are other detectorists in those woods now that they know that there are coins in them. Their woods. And they can't clear off. He can't clear off everybody. And how was it? How was it in? I don't know how big these woods are, but I find it strange that they were all three of them were in the same part of the woods at the same time. Mm -hmm. That seems a little coincidental. This feels like another. uh, We need to redo this. Of all of, there have been so many opportunities, so many opportunities over the past year for someone to find Rick the Chin in a way that makes sense and doesn't involve two other characters who drive in the same vehicle together in the time of coronavirus. That's again, this is something that you can't nitpick. Oh, I'm going to nitpick. You can't. Because it's going to happen all the time. It's going to get dull. Well, we'll see. Maybe they will get better at it. That's getting dull already. <clears throat> Shut up. Sometimes you're dull. So there. I find, <laughs> I find that very hard to believe. But anyway, I there have been so many times where we're like, oh, oh, they're searching the woods for Carla. This may be it. Mm-hmm. Or, oh, oh, they're searching the woods for, oh, what was it? The police were in the woods for something else recently. And we're like, oh, oh, is this when they're going to find Rick the Chin? Or there was some other thing about the woods. And oh, is, is this, are we finally going to, is somebody going to finally be, unbury Rick the Chin? But no, we have to have, we have to shoehorn Brian and Bernie into this. Yeah, that, that's mess. what I mean by this is a redo. I, I don't think this is the way that they wanted to do it. Because it's it's kind of slapped together. And it's goofy. And Gary's reaction is just so over the top. First of all, he was bad enough when he was in the in the cabin reacting really weirdly and saying to Brian that he, he, he shouldn't go to, he yeah, should find somewhere should else. Yeah, find somewhere else. So what did they do with you? Right. That was bad enough. But then seemingly chasing them away from the woods right and immediately and then, immediately going with a sh- what was he going to do with that shovel was he going to unbury rick the chin and hide him and move him somewhere else is that what he was planning on doing i'm not sure leave it alone because if somebody sees you out there digging up a dead body that's going to prove that you're the person who put the <laughs> dead body in the ground but that- and also how did Bernie find that watch? Which it, it did? Did Rick the Chin lose the watch before he died in, in the, the woods in the somewhere struggle, in I the struggle? Is, yeah, I think that's what's implied. You know, because she didn't find it around the wrist of a dead person. No, not even Bernie would take a watch <laughs> off of a dead person's arm no. and so of course not say something. It's come off in the struggle, of course, it has. Because it can't be on his wrist, you're right. But that this, none, it, of, none of that bothers me as much as Gary's reaction. Gary rushing back in the van, 
coming mm. out, telling them, telling these people that they can't do what they wanted to do, mm-hmm. and then smashing the yeah. metal detector. It makes it very suspicious. It's, it couldn't be more suspicious if you had a t-shirt on that says, I killed Rick the Chin. And, I mean, it is... It works with his character because Gary does have an anger management problem. He does, but... But still, I I don't know. Smashing a metal detector. <laughs> and then Sarah sees this. Right. And Sarah, who now knows from Adam that there are suspicions that mm-hmm. he's responsible for Rick the Chin's death. Right. Seeing this the same day, later oh. on the same day, must be like... I don't know, maybe Adam's onto something here. Yeah. I don't think she's I don't think she's there yet. I think she's close. I think she's close cuz cuz this was just psychotic behavior. It was insane. In the membrane. <sighs> Which reminds me of Pitch Perfect 2 and Dust Sound Machine. Who should have won? <laughs> they should have won. We love <sighs> Dust Sound Machine. All that said, <laughs> I loved Corey this week. I thought it was super stuff. There was so much going on. Yeah. Again, this was a really long scene at the end. Another four or five minute long scene. Adam needs to work on doing his own hair. But other than that, yeah. You'll learn. It's just just funny because we know what his hair looks like in real life. Well, we've seen Nick's beard disappear and reappear over the course of the same day, which is Again, quite amusing. Yeah. But all in all, so much happened this week. Mm-hmm. Stories got pushed forward. Main stories got pushed forward quite a bit. And in interesting slash controversial ways. But mm-hmm. it was fun to watch. And it was fun to write up. I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. What was your moment of the week? Um, Yasmin telling Tim's dad to go fuck himself. The phone call? Yeah. Yeah, that's... I, th- I think it's got to that's be... moment of the week. Oh, it's been Sorry. the two of them a few times, but... Right. I, I, think I was wondering whether we get uh, Elaine into it. Not yet. I, th- I think I think our Elaine moment of the week is coming. Okay. So, Yasmin telling Tim's dad to go fuck himself. That's our... Moment of the week! Moment of the week. And your boring moment of the week. Emma explaining to Sally what social media is. <laughs> nah, that was hilarious. So hilarious you forgot to mention it. I'll skip over some bits. Because it didn't seem to have to anything to do with any storyline. I certainly wasn't going to start a storyline just for that. wonder why she bumped into the bench. Because she was so obsessed with, with writing a, a post for the social media... That she wasn't focusing. Oh. This this scene was not written by a millennial. <laughs> I think our boring moment of the week is uh, probably the clap for Aggie stuff. No, because no, you know what it is. It's 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 Gary telling Nina that we all have to pull together, and he saw a fox on the street. That was boring like because that. that was, that was Corey, you know, giving us, that was the literal clap for Aggie right there. The, the speech about how we all have to pull together and, 
and be nice to one another and kind to one another and yeah that wasn't gary that delivered that line that was the show yeah <laughs> yeah that was them you know this is our time we're gonna and we're gonna get a little preachy here right if they have gary do it when then he goes on to unkindly smash brian's detector right Oh, maybe that maybe that was the point. Maybe that was the the juxtaposition of that. Yeah. I don't know. Let's fuck it. Fair enough. That's our boring moment of the week. A boring moment of the week. Oh, once again, I have not written an outro. If you've ever have you ever smashed a friend's detectorist? Detectorist. <laughs> Detector. If you've ever dug up a dead man's watch in the middle of the woods while searching for truffles, please contact your local police force. <laughs> Our email, on the other hand, is thetalkofthestreet at gmail.com, which is also how you can leave us a voicemail on Skype or drop us a couple of nuggets into our virtual tip jar on PayPal. We are at Cory Podcast on social media, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And please, if you have the time or the inclination, Leave us a little rating and review on the iTunes. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode, and we will be back next week with more. Oh, talk of the street. Talk of the street. Cheerio. Bye.